Ephesians 5, and just a few verses. And so look what it says here in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15. It says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation or a wasted life, but be filled with the Spirit. And so it's a, it's a heavy study, and it's definitely relevant for us today. And I keep telling you guys the same thing. Forgive me for doing that. But I think uh, when it sinks in, it's going to be helpful, you know. Uh, so I always heard that repetition would teach a donkey. I'm a donkey. And so I need to hear it over and over and over again, you guys. Um, you know, um, how in the book of Ephesians, we are taught how rich we are, how wealthy we are, how, how loved you are, how forgiven you are, how the blood of Jesus washes away your sins, man. You guys are not your average folk. You are supernatural. You are marvelous. You are blessed with every spiritual blessing. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You can walk on water. You can move mountains because you are blessed. That's what Ephesians chapter 1 through 3 says, is you are blessed. And so it's kind of like what, um, what, what, what Christ has done for you. That's the first three chapters. But now with that, he says, okay, now th- this is what Christ has done. Now this is what Christians are called to do. And, you know, God wants us to live a certain life uh, because he knows it's, it's, it's the best thing for us. But he also knows that when we live the life, we're going to win other people to Jesus. Because at the end of the day, you guys, that's all that really matters. Lord, use my life somehow, some way. I don't know what my role or responsibility is. I might not know my specific position in the body of Christ. There might not be a word for it, you know. But all I know, Lord, is I want you to use my life for your glory, for their good. Use me to help people. And so it's kind of cool to know what Christ has done, who you are in Christ, and now to know what Christians are to do. And so we've been talking about this. Primary thing, again, you got to get this clear. Put off the old man, put on the new man, you know? And so, you know, don't lie, tell the truth. Don't be angry and sin. Make up before it's too late. Don't take or steal. Work hard to give. Don't tear down people with your words. Use those words to build them up. No, don't be a hater. Be a lover. Don't be bitter. You're better than that. Forgive the people the way that God has forgiven you. You see, you're putting off the old man and you're putting on the new man. And what ends up happening is with this spiritual wealth, we learn how to walk as Christians. We saw in chapter 4, verse 1, how we are to walk worthy of such a great salvation you know, we saw in chapter 5, verse 2, how we are to walk in love. We saw in chapter 5, verse 8, we got to walk in the light. And then today here in verse 15, again, look what it says. It says, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. And so it helps to know like the Greek language. It's written in Koine Greek. The reason why God did that is because it's a very articulate language And in the Koine Greek, not to trip you out, but it's a present tense imperative. Can you guys say that with me? No, I'm just joking. Present tense imperative. And you're like, Manny, why are you even telling us that? Because in the Greek language, it means it's a continuous 
command. Not a suggestion, a command. Not once in a while, always. Always walk circumspectly. That's what it says in the Greek. Now that word circumspectly is an interesting word. It actually comes from two Greek words which speak of our mannerisms. It speaks of the way that we live our life. That's the way it's translated in Acts 20, verse 18. And it actually is that the second word there is the word akrobos, which is a really fascinating word. It means accurate. It means exact. It means research down to the finest and most minute detail. Akrobos is where we get our word acrobat. And so you ever seen those guys swinging up and they're catching the ring and they're catching each other or they're up on the, whatever, the tight wire? I mean, you know how precise they have to be to do that? God is saying that's how we are to walk, our, our, our walk as a Christian. We are to, to live this life with, with detail. You know, I don't know if you guys ever met anyone. Some of you guys might be someone who's very detailed. As a matter of fact, I notice this is crooked right here. Change it out. I have OCD to a certain extent. But, I mean, you know, some people are very detailed. And so the, the, the truth is we should all be that way as, as disciples. It can't be sloppy agape. It can't be casual Christianity. It shouldn't be the way we typically do things. No, this is our walk and representation of Jesus Christ. This is me trying to influence my wife and bless her as, as a husband. I can't be casual about this. This is me being a dad with my kids, praying that they also follow in the footsteps of God and they go to heaven and enjoy everything along the way. This is me trying, you know, Mrs. I can't be, it can't be like, you know, okay, sirrah, sirrah. It can't be sloppy agape. It can't be casual California Christianity. We have to be detailed in our discipleship. This is what he's saying right here. You know, I was thinking about the way we usually wash our cars. You know, we can get it done in an hour or so. And it, you know, I guess you could say it gets by. But how long does it take to detail it? You know, the, according to autotrader.com, it takes two working days to detail your car. And, and in one sense, this is how we have to have our hearts for our walk. Walking circumspectly will take more thought, more time, seriously soaking in the scriptures, sincere time of heartfelt prayer, to be careful with every word, every step, you know, because I don't know if you guys have been like somewhere, you know, the floor is real slippery. Yeah, you got to walk carefully, huh? Or like there's holes, potholes, or there's rocks, you know? And so there's certain ways that, that you have to walk. And, and what God is saying is this is the world that we live in. The world that we live in is so, is so bad. We have to keep in mind that the enemy has planted landmines all over the place. And so we have to walk in detail, circumspectly. I'll be the first to admit I many times... I, I say words that I shouldn't have said, just something I shouldn't have said that messes everything up. And you wish you could have took it back, but you can't. And now what happened? You stepped on a landmine. Why? Because you were not careful. You were not careful with your conversation. You, you just vomited it out when you shouldn't have. You got a guy and he's in, he's in, he's in a fight. He can't let his guard down. He can't. You know, I know we get tired, but this is what God's calling us to do. You know, Proverbs nineteen sixteen: He who keeps the commandment keeps his soul, but he who is careless of his ways will die. Isaiah thirty eight fifteen: What shall I say? He has both spoken to me 
and he himself has done it, I shall walk carefully all my years. And I was reading about this one guy, William Thompson. I guess he was one of the greatest physicists of the 19th century. I was reading about the different things that he discovered, and it was just amazing, you know, the way that this guy succeeded in life. But when he was away at college, his father wrote to him, and this is what his father said. He said, you are young, take care you are not to be led in what is wrong. A false step now or the acquiring of an improper habit might ruin your life. And I was thinking, wow, probably part of the reason that this young man did so well is because his dad uh, just pounded this into a meal. You can't, you can't develop. You have to be so careful with every single step because that one thing or that one habit that you just inadvertently develop might be your ruin. And I think that well, God is kind of telling us the same thing. Don't get me wrong. He's gracious. He's forgiving. But you just never know. Some people, they don't recover. And so here, the Lord tells us, verse 15, see then that, that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. I don't want to be a fool. I've seen pastors with big churches fall in sex and drugs and alcohol and stealing money and and I'll, I'll be the first to admit that, you know, it can happen to me. I mean, if I say it can't, then I move up to the, the front of the line because I don't have overconfidence. And so, you know, I, I don't want to die a fool. I don't want to be a fool. You know, and the way that we live our life. He says, listen, you've got to walk circumspectly, not as fools, but, but as wise. I always tell you guys, you know, we have the fool life, F-O-O-L, or the full life, F-U-L-L. You know, because it's kind of cool. Believe it or not, I know some of us here, we might think, well, you know what, I'm not that smart, and I didn't really have that much of an upbringing. Some people even say I can't read or whatever. You name it. I got dyslexia, or, you know, I've got these disadvantages. I never had a dad. whole bunch of stuff. But you know what's so cool is that when you're a Christian, you can actually be wise. You, you brother, you're, you're wise. You, sister, you're wise. That's what the Bible says. We've got to walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Don't fool around because in the end, you become that fool. Well, what is wisdom? How can I be wise? Well, wisdom is the application of biblical knowledge. That's what wisdom is. It's not an education from an Ivy League school. It's not stuff that you're going to find uh, as you get the counsel of the world. I don't care who they are. I don't care how much money they make. You're not going to get wisdom from them. You're going to get the wisdom from the Bible. It is the application of biblical knowledge. We have to come to this. We have to come to a place in our life where we hunger and thirst for it. We have to come to a place in our life where we say, you know what, I don't have it. I need it. C.H. Spurgeon said, the doorsteps to the temple of wisdom or a knowledge of our own ignorance. I, I, I always tell you guys, and let me see if you guys can relate to this. Me, growing up, zero common sense. Zero. At least some of you guys here had common sense. I didn't have that. 
And so now you got, you know, no common sense. You have, you know, you're not smart. You know, you weren't given any instruction or guidance growing up. How in the world is this individual going to survive? The Bible, as the Spirit of God teaches you the Word of God, we can actually become wise. And then you develop a relationship with God. And when Solomon was young, he had a beautiful relationship with God. And God said, I'll give you anything. I'll give you anything you ask. What do you want? And Solomon said that I might have wisdom. Wisdom. Because I know these people that you love, I can't leave them. And the Bible says that God gave him a hearing heart. You see, that's wisdom. As we understand, as we, as we hear the, the word of God, as we hear the voice of God according to the word of God, that's what you will be. You know, when I look at this right here, I actually think Paul, by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, is building this up. Manny, walk carefully. Manny, don't be a fool. Manny, you know, don't be unwise. He's building it up because of two things that we'll talk about today that I think are very important in life. And number one is time. And number two is wine. Look at verse 16. He, he says, redeeming the time because the days are, are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And so interesting, redeeming the time because the days are evil. You know, the days are more dangerous when the days are not only bad, but busy. And this is why we need to redeem the time. I was tripping out. I was thinking, man, Paul wrote this in his days. They were evil. Imagine how evil it is now, you guys. We're living in a world now where I've told you, you know, there's this anti-God. Everybody thinks they have the authority to say what's right and what's wrong and just not even considering what God himself, our creator, might have said about what's right and wrong and how we're attacking the very fabric of society, which is the family. And God instituted the family with a father and a mother and little boys and little girls. And that very fabric of society is being, it's under assault. And so if he was living in bad days, just think about how it is now and how much more we need to redeem the time. We need to redeem the time. You know, we need to be good stewards of time. And Will you spend time with God? Will you spend time with your spouse, talking to them in a relationship, looking into each other's eyes, discovering what God has called you to do together as husband and wife? Will you spend time with your children? Because love is spelled T-I-M-E, time. Or are you doing all the other things? Will we redeem the time because the days are, are evil? And then it seems like time is slipping away. Even this morning, we lost an hour. Can you believe that? <laughs> it's crazy. And so Paul here says, hey, be careful with time. A lot of times people waste time. Have you ever heard that phrase, I'm just killing time? You can't kill time without affecting eternity. You know, one guy said, he who has no vision of eternity will never get a true hold of time. And that's why we have to have it stamped on our foreheads. It's so cool. Sometimes you meet Christians and they are just, to me, I'm like, Lord, that's what Christians are supposed to be. Their whole life is about the Lord. 
everything they do, everywhere they go, always thinking about, I wonder if that person knows the Lord. Hey, maybe I can invite them to church. Hey, and it's just it's crazy. This is how we have to live our life. You know, it, it, when you look at this verse right here, be careful the way you walk. Don't be a fool. Be wise. Redeem the time. Re- redeeming the time. Now, in one sense, it is a general description of time itself. You know, none of us knows if we have uh, tomorrow guaranteed, right? We're all short timers in one sense. And you guys know how fast, once you hit 50, I'm almost there. Once you hit 50, I'm already there. <laughs> it just starts taking off, right? But but in another sense, it, it means something even more specific than that. This uh, Greek word is also translated to make the most of every opportunity. And that's really what he's talking about right here. Redeeming the time is actually speaking about redeeming the opportunities that God gives to you. David Guzik said there were two ancient Greek words used for time. One had the idea of just a day upon day, an hour upon hour. The other had the idea of a definite portion of time, a time where something should happen. It is the difference between time and the time. The idea here is the time. It is a definite season of opportunity that Christians must redeem. It's the same word used in Galatians 6.10 where it says, as we have opportunity, let's do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And so we talked about that, you know, and you guys look for those opportunities, you know, look for them, man. It might be you. Um, and just thinking, there's so many things we can take into consideration, like uh, Pastor Rich was talking about. Our kids are young. Our kids are young right now. Right now, they're, they're sponges, you know. Um, and again, I can't force you guys. And again, I don't want to be legalistic. And who knows, maybe God does have different plans for you. But if you have little ones, bring them on a Sunday, 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, right around there. Um, they'll have the awana because you want to take advantage of that time, that opportunity when they have faith, when they are sponges. Because the Bible says, raise up a child in the way of the Lord and he won't depart from it. Take advantage of that season, that time when they're small, you know, because they'll believe you when you tell them about Jesus and it'll find a home in their heart. You know, take advantage of the seasons that you have. I was even thinking, my, my kids are still with me. This is a season. I know it's going to change one day. So I want to redeem that time and just continue to pour into them, continue to do the best that I can to love them. My spouse. And sometimes you have opportunities and God will, you know, give you an opportunity. The other day I was doing a city council invocation and ended up having about a 20-minute conversation with this young man. And, and I just sensed like the Lord say, hey, you, you should talk to him about, about the Lord. And I'm just thinking, you know, who knows where this young man's coming from? He may have never really heard the gospel. He may didn't have a dad. He may have, you know, been in a situation where he doesn't know, you know, about salvation. Next thing you know, we start talking and ask him, if you were to die today, do you know for sure you go to heaven. We started having a heavy conversation right there. Next thing you know, one thing leads to another, and he's asking for a Bible to know the Word of God. And, and again, I've, I've failed many times where I, the Lord said, hey, you just go up and talk to them, but Lord, they'll reject me. Lord, I don't know what to say. But they're not going to reject you. They'll reject the Lord Jesus. You just have to share the Word and Again, not to be obnoxious and not to be mechanical, 
But if the Holy Spirit says, hey, this is an opportunity, man, be bold, Christian. Be bold. I just went up to the guy and said, hey, do you ever go to church? I just, that's how I, I don't know why. That's what I started off with. You might be something different. Hey, I like your Lakers shirt. You might go from there. Hey, do you know this one Laker? Give me a name. You could talk about different things, but God will show you. I always think of that story with D.L. Moody, the great evangelist. It was October 8th. 1871, when he preached to the congregation, and he told them, you know, this message about Jesus. It was, what shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Christ? You remember when Pilate said, what shall I do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? What should you do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? And he was talking to this, the biggest crowd he'd ever preached to in Chicago, and this is what he did. He told them, go home and think about it. And next week, you know, we'll make a decision. And you guys know what happened. That's when the Chicago fire happened. And a lot of those people die. They lost everything. They didn't come back. He didn't have the opportunity to share with them again. And the Lord taught the great evangelist a great lesson. He said, never again. Never again. If I'm going to preach Christ to somebody, I'm going to give them an opportunity to give their life to him. And that's what I think Paul is saying as well. It's just redeeming the time, making the most of every opportunity. The, the days are evil, verse uh, 17. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And it's just so cool when you become a Christian and you, know, you, under, you, you come to a place of understanding you know, understanding is, is more than just knowledge. You just don't just know the will of God. You understand the will of God. You know, you have precepts, and then you have principles. Precepts are like, okay, I know how to use the fire hose. I, I know how to, you know, fight the fire in the house and the certain structure and things like that. That's the precept, but the principle is we're here to save lives. My job is to save lives. God, used me like that. That's what he's saying. It's not just knowing the will in a mechanical sense. It's understanding the will of God, understanding the heart of God, that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And you understand that. And that finds a home in your heart. Now, right here, Paul is saying, walk carefully with, with time. And then walk carefully with wine. Look at verse 18, and do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now remember we're talking about putting off the old man, putting on the new man. Okay, don't be drunk with wine. That's a wasted life. But on the contrary, be filled with the Spirit. And so it's not enough just to stop drinking wine you have to also do the positive, and that is be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And the beautiful thing is you can be that way. Just, man, you wake up in the morning, you roll out of bed, and you just say, Lord, fill me. I can't do anything unless I am under your influence. I can't. I won't. I'll go to my phone. I'll watch television. I'll read the newspaper before I get into the Word. So let me roll out of bed and let me just acknowledge my absolute weakness right here as we start the day. And then even when you go to sleep and everything in between. This is what we got to do. Not drunk with wine, but be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. 
The word dissipation here, it speaks of excessive indulgence and sensual pleasures. You know, the Holy Spirit here, he commands us to, to be careful with time and be careful with wine. Proverbs 20, verse 1, it says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Look at Proverbs 23. You guys want to turn there real quick? I'll race you. I'm just joking. Proverbs 23. Look at verse 29. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of wine, of eyes? Those who linger long at the wine. Those who go in search of mixed wine. Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. You know, he's like, who has all these troubles? Who is that one? And, you know, he goes on to describe this individual who's a, a drinker. And he says, don't look at the wine. And you got the wine swirling around the cup and it's nice and red and beautiful. And maybe you might even see the commercials and the guy who drinks the Coronas, he gets all the chicks or something like that, you know, and successful. And they show you that part of it. Don't look at that because in the end, in the end, it stings like the devil, like a serpent, like a snake. And you might even be here and be like, well, that won't happen to me. It might happen to your kid. They see you drinking. Oh, dad does it. Pastor so-and-so does it. Pastor so-and-so even posted on Instagram, homeboy's drinking some wine, and Pastor so-and-so did the sermon over here, and he's telling everybody, hey, oh, come on, it's okay. Have a little drink. And so somebody watches that, and they're like, well, if Pastor so-and-so can do it, I'm, I'm sure I can do it and you can't do it, and the next thing you know, you know, every single day, 32 people die in a drunk driving accident, close to 200,000 people dying every day due to alcohol-related um, um, crimes and murders, and we're talking about sexual attacks, violent attacks, robberies, 80% of crimes committed by individuals under the influence of alcohol. And so I'm not going to be a pastor up here saying to you, it's okay to do. I can't. You know, when I look at what's going on nowadays, and I, I've studied it, and from what I understand, the wine today is stronger than it was back then. And the Bible says, do not be drunk with wine. And so how many beers does it take to get a buzz? How many shots? How many glasses of wine? I don't know. I don't want to know. Where would my dad be if he didn't drink? I remember him walking down the, the driveway with 12 packs every single night. What if his dad didn't drink? What if somebody put in his heart the conviction, you don't need it. You don't need it. They call it happy hour. Happy hour. Does that mean that you need alcohol to be happy? 
No way, you guys. You're better than that. Don't believe that lie. You're better than that. You're beautiful. You have this personality that God is cultivating within you. You don't need a drink to to loosen up. You don't. Oh, well, Jesus, you know, turned water to wine. And over there in 1 Timothy, you know, Paul told Timothy, hey, have a little wine for when you're sick. But remember what we're talking about right here. We're talking about how the wine back then was weaker. We're talking about how the water wasn't even as clean. I mean, they didn't have nearly as many options as we have now. And then you look at the culture that we're living in today and the damage and destruction and devastation. And to me, I mean, I can't come up here and say, you know what, if you do it, you're going to hell. That's between you and the Lord. But I'm here to tell you that if someone sees you drinking, 1 Corinthians 10, Romans chapter 14, it says, you know, I won't drink or eat meat offered to idols if it causes my brother to stumble. I won't drink wine if it causes my brother to stumble. And so I remember Pastor Raw used to say, well, if you do drink, maybe you can go into your little room and be all by yourself and no one else will see you. Maybe then you can justify it. But remember, you still can't get drunk. Why would anybody want to do it? Now, again, after service, first service, you know, someone came up to me, ah, they're upset, you know, that I talk like this. And I'm like, go away. No, I'm sorry, I didn't say that. I, <laughs> I didn't. I'm like, you know, bro, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, you can sit there and you tell me from a biblical perspective, you know, whatever you want to say. I just know what God did in my life. When I was seven years old, my dad would get me little cores, and he would get the tall can, I would get the little can, and we would drink. I started drinking at a very young age. I'm not saying I drank the whole time, but, you know, once, you know, you hit junior high, high school, you know, you're sneaking it out from your parents, and you're doing different things, and 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 so when I got saved, August 20th, 1989, when God came into my life, I never drank again. He took it away. Drugs, alcohol, F-bombs, sexual sin, he took it away overnight. Now, is that the way it happens for everybody? No, of course not. You know, some people, you know, I can't take the credit for that. I can't say that I did it because he took it away. But I will say this, that he has the power to take it away if you let him. I was talking to someone the other day and just um, let me just ask you a question, man. Do you want to be set free? Do you want to? And he said, yeah, I, I, I do. That's all. Don't be drunk with wine in which is a wasted life. This is what Paul says right here. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. I was thinking of Winston Churchill and how he was renowned as a drinker and what happened to his daughter. Yeah, Winston Churchill did a lot of great things from a political standpoint. But his daughter, man, she struggled with drinking because she saw what her dad did. Next thing you know, she's getting arrested over and over, thrown in prison. He ruined this beautiful young lady who was a dancer and actress, her life. And so for me, I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm going to put off. I'm going to encourage a congregation between you and the Lord. And then rather than being drunk with wine, there's a greater high. Uh, there's a greater influence, and that is the 
the influence of the Holy Spirit. I always tell people the way to conquer one passion is with a greater passion. And we talked about this many times, how when you were under the influence of alcohol, how it made you do things that you normally wouldn't do. And um, uh, now we'll be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And my prayer is that that will allow us to do things that we would never do on our own. And it will be things that will be good, things that will your husband, your wife, your kids, they're going to be like, who are you? You're different now. Now I see love in your life, power in your life. You're not just a religious Christian. I see the cross. Because you can't take up your cross without the power of the Holy Spirit. Even Jesus, when he came here in ministry, you know, when he got baptized, it says the Holy Spirit descended upon him. I mean, even he needed to be under the influence and filled with the Holy Spirit. And you read through the book of Acts, when they turn the world upside down, it just says over and over again after Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came upon them, because in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said, stay in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high, and then you'll be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so don't go anywhere without the power of the Holy Spirit. And when he came, they were all speaking in tongues, and there was joy, and it was God. And even the people said, hey, man, these guys are drunk. Peter said, no, we're not drunk. Joel talks about this. This is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I need that. Our church needs that. You can always tell when you're not walking under the influence of the Holy Spirit because you fail, because it's mediocre, because it's average. I was talking to one guy yesterday, a young man from the Bible college, and he called and we were talking, and he was telling me how he used to party and do all the crazy stuff. And he says, now, I don't know about being a Christian because it seems like it might be boring. And I said, man, you may tell you something. It is the greatest adventure on earth. You used to get high on that stuff. Now you're getting higher. You're going to get higher on this. This is what happens when you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit. If you're not, let me tell you, if your Christianity is boring, then you are not under the influence of God. And what he says right here, and you read it throughout the book of Acts, and they were filled, and they were filled, and they were filled, and they were filled, is that, we can have this feeling of God. Before you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit's with you, convicting you of sin. When you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. John 20, verse 22, we become the temple of God. But subsequent to that, after that, there's more. There's more. And that's why there are some people in this building right here who are saved. You're saved. If you die, you go to heaven. But you're not filled. You're not filled with the Holy Spirit. You have not yet been baptized with the Holy Spirit. That is the theological explanation of what you're experiencing. And just like before you were saved, you acknowledged, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. Today, you must acknowledge, I need the Holy Spirit. I need that promise, Luke 24, 49, that he says, Jesus says, the promise of the Father. When John the Baptist was baptizing, he said, I baptize with water, but there, one, there comes one mightier after me, mightier than I, whose sandal straps I'm not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Fire. 
But you have to believe. You have to surrender. If you're here and you're holding on to sin, remember, he's the Holy Spirit. You got to give it to him. You got to surrender. You got you to believe. You got to be, Lord, I, I need you. Acknowledge that need. And Luke chapter 11, it says, uh, keep on seeking, keep on asking, keep on knocking. He says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And so, you know, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. I was, in, I was thinking about that passage in Luke one fifteen, Speaking, uh, it's, a, it's a prophecy about John the Baptist. And it says, for, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit. I thought that was interesting. The, the same concept, not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And look what God did through that guy, John. And so I just, uh, I pray as we close here, um, two things. Number one, if you're not a Christian, that today um, you would give your life to Christ, man. He, he, he loves you, okay? He loves you. He died for you on the cross. All your sins were put on him. They put him in a grave, but he rose again to defeat death and just to prove who he was. He's the savior of the world. You know, if you're here today and, and you've never accepted him, I pray that, that you, you would today turn from your sin and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and God will save you. I, I'm not eloquent. I don't have any special gift. I don't have it. I don't. But he does. I've seen people get saved just by raising their hands. I've seen people get saved just by saying a prayer in their heart or coming forward. You know, it's between you and the Lord. If you were to die today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? Oh, yeah, I'd go to heaven. Oh, yeah, why should God let you in to heaven? And you're thinking right now, okay, let me think. I'm a good person. Is that what you're thinking? I'm a good person. I never killed anybody. I'm a good person. If that's what you're thinking, I'm here to tell you based on the authority of God's word, you won't go to heaven. You can never be good enough to go to heaven because heaven is for perfect people. You must say, I have accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. There was a time in your life where you said yes. He accepted him. He came in. He saved you. Have you done that? If not, I pray that you would do that today. And for the rest of us, and myself included, I pray that we would surrender. I pray that we would believe. I pray that we would acknowledge our need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And if, if you do, God will meet you here.